of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change, and certain restrictions may apply. When the time comes to plan your next big getaway, know we got a destination idea for you. Orlando. Just think about it. The thrills at their 15 world-class theme parks, followed by awesome outdoor adventures, amazing food festivals, and top-notch dining spots. Orlando has all that and much more than you'd expect. In Orlando, anything is possible if you can imagine it. Plan your escape today and save at visitorlando.com. That's visitorlando.com for everything you need for an amazing getaway. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, so we have made it to the final chapter of the Good Thief saga. And I'm going to pull a move you've all seen before. Before I get to the ending, I'm going to bring us back to the beginning. Do you remember way back in episode one? The scene where a chopper lands on the prison roof. These guys crawl up a ladder, gunshots ring out, and prisoners go wild with applause. Yeah, that's where we are in the story. Our man Vasilis Paliokostas was on the outside for a few years. But by late 2008, he's back in cuffs, taken right back to the notorious prison complex he had escaped from. This time, the prison swears they can contain him. He's put in a solitary cell with an armed guard stationed nearby, and they've doubled down on vigilance. But there are two glaring oversights. The first, officials placed Vasilis in the same hallway as his accomplice from the first helicopter escape. The two men had parted ways after breaking out together in 2006, but freedom was short-lived for both of them. And now, both men were behind bars, awaiting trial for their breakout. And in some version of prison logic, Officials reasoned that it made sense to place both men in the same heavily guarded corridor in the solitary confinement wing. Which brings us to the second oversight. That same area had access to the roof. Reporter Mariana Kakounaki covered the case for the local newspaper. 
And she told us that prison officials did debate whether or not to put them so close to the roof. But in the end, they thought that another escape, especially one as flamboyant as an escape by helicopter, was out of the question. And yet, that's exactly what they did. Using the same damn playbook they followed the first time. Alquette gets a cell phone, calls his girlfriend on the outside. She finds a helicopter company that offers day trips and getaways. And get this, the company's name? Escapes. Literally. She does her research, makes sure the chopper is minimally guarded, and on the day of the ride... Once they're in the air, she turns to the pilot and says, there's been a change of plans, and she pulls out a knife and a hand grenade, and soon the helicopter is flying in a different direction. Now you know where this is going. The chopper heads to the prison, descends, the guys climb up, the helicopter disappears into the sunset, and Vasilis gets away. For a second time. Except this time, he's truly in the wind. To this day, no one knows where he is. Some say he's gotten plastic surgery and looks totally different now. Others say he moves around in costume, wearing wigs and other phony disguises. Rumor has it, he's married in Bulgaria. Or living on an island somewhere all alone. Or roughing it in the mountain caves of Greece. Throughout our reporting, we were told over and over that we shouldn't even bother trying to find him. That Vasilis Paleokostas cannot be found. And after over a year of trying, we figured everyone was right. He's just too damn good. But then, late last year, just as we were about to wrap things up on this podcast... We caught a break. I'm Miles Gray. From Kaleidoscope and iHeart Podcasts, this is The Good Thief. Chapter 1. The Source. There are two versions of the Vasilis Paleocosta story, depending on whom you ask. There's the official version, that he's disappeared and no one has seen him since. And then, there's the unofficial version. The one we got after reporting for more than a year. The one that always seemed to be the subtext of any conversation about him. That people who knew him or were from his hometown knew more than they were letting on. That the police had leads they just wouldn't talk about. Because there have been breadcrumbs. In 2011... He was supposedly sighted in a coffee shop, but his face looked different, altered by plastic surgery. In 2013, a toll road camera in Athens supposedly caught a glimpse of him speeding along the highway. And just a few years ago, a local swears they caught sight of him at a cafe eating fish while summering in Thessaly. And then, in winter of last year, there's another possible sighting our team in Greece stumbled across a short news item that describes this incident. It's late November 2022, near the village of Kipseli in central Greece. And apparently, a BMW is tearing down a desolate mountain road. 
With all due respect to the people of Kipseli, this is the middle of nowhere. There's no cell service out here, most roads are unpaved, and a lot of cars can't even handle the terrain. But this vehicle, it moves with confidence. Whoever's behind the wheel knows these roads. They also don't have license plates. So when the car zooms past a lone police cruiser, the officers flip on the sirens. Details of what happens next are scarce. All we know is that there are multiple people in this car, and someone inside starts shooting at the cops with an AK-47. The cops break, and the car gets away. And, well, Christina, I feel like at this point, this sounds all too familiar. For sure, but... but the article doesn't say it's Vasilis. It does have the hallmarks of a typical Vasilis police chase, but it's just a news account of the incident. The police give no indication of who they think it is. But still, we, we obviously couldn't stop talking about it in the office, and we just felt that the, this might just be him, so we tried to fill in more of the blanks. I called the local police... And of course, they refused to talk. Um, we also contacted some locals who were equally vague and of no help. And then we tracked down an incredible source, somebody who has inside knowledge of Vasilis's patterns of movement. This person has been following Vasilis's trail for years. They, they wanted, or I should probably say needed, to remain anonymous. So we can't play any interview tape for you. But when we asked them about the article, they said that it wouldn't be hard to believe that Vasilis Palaocostas was in the car that night. And when we asked why, they pointed out some very important clues. First, the location. It's the perfect place for Vasilis. This region is Vlak country, the region where his people, the Vlaks, are most concentrated, meaning he has a built-in support network. The region is also not far from the village of Moschofito, where Vasilis was born and, and grew up. Plus, it's near a national park, home to tens of thousands of acres of inaccessible backwoods. Imagine a labyrinth of rivers and ravines, canyons and caves. Okay, but why a national park? Is that advantageous for him or something? The advantage for Vasilis is that communication in this area is futile. GPS and police radios hardly work. In fact, the forest is so dense that search helicopters and drones are useless. According to our source, Vasilis actually moves through this region quite often. He may even be staying here full time. And apparently, this isn't the first time he's crossed paths with the cops. There have been as many as seven or eight close encounters. And each time, he has moved around with one or two accomplices, what people suspect are bodyguards. On one hand, all this new information was incredible. And it kind of confirmed something we'd been suspicious of from the start. That people in this region know more than what they're letting on. It even made us rethink our interview with Costa Samaras, Vasilis's mentor, when he said, If I knew, I would not say anything, but if he is alive, he must be living well. He must be hiding. 
Now, whether he's here, which I don't believe, or somewhere else, he knows how to move around. Let's just say he might be traveling with those papers. Um, he may have changed his face by disguise or surgery. Maybe change his fingerprints. Vasilis knows how to protect himself. But it was also a little disheartening. Like, we've done over 50 interviews with everyone from chief of police to Vasilis's literal partners in crime. And yet, until now, we hadn't been able to get a real foothold on where Vasilis had been hiding. But according to Christina's source, there's a reason why. So there's apparently a team of police whose job is 24-7 to hunt down Palo Costas. It's their sole mission, and they've been on the case since Vasilis last escaped. But the government has kept this task force hush-hush. In fact, these same police officers are being closely surveilled by intelligence agencies from the federal government to make sure that nothing leaks to the outside. And that could be the reason that, despite all our requests, no current police have wanted to talk. But it's still amazing to hear that they're actively working to try to find him, using sizable resources, and still haven't managed to do it. Okay, I'll admit it. It feels like we've been on a wild goose chase, chasing any possible lead and searching the whole country from Athos to Ikaria for Vasilis. Meanwhile, the police have been sitting right here and have allegedly seen Vasilis seven or eight times on these little country roads, circling around the same mountain where he was born. But as soon as we hear this, we know we have to go north. The weather is against us. It's December. And very soon, the roads are going to be impassable because of snow. None of us are mountain climbers, and none of us own a vehicle that can reasonably handle the terrain. Plus, we're up against a clock. We know the weather is about to change. So George reaches out to a mountain guide in the region, hoping to get help navigating the roads. Daphne's uncle loans us a RAV4 to get around. And since we didn't want George hunting for an Interpol's most wanted criminal and his two bodyguards all by himself, we decided to keep the family theme going and sent him up there with Daphne's partner, also named George. And so with that, George and George packed their bags and headed for the mountains. Chapter 2 The trip. I'm in the village of Kipseli with our mountain guide, Christos Skordoulas. It's taken almost five hours to get here from Athens, and now we're, we're slowly rumbling up the road. Kipseli is sort of dead. There's only a few hundred people live here in the village and all the tavernas look closed. But inside the car, our guy, Christos, he's this whirlwind of energy. He's constantly on this satellite phone. It's the only thing that works out here. Fishing for any local source he can. You know, he's, he's calling the mayor as soon as we're in the car. He's calling the police, the owner of a supermarket, anybody and, and everybody who might want to talk, telling them... Hey, I'm, I'm with a reporter from Athens who wants to know about Palio Costas. 
He's a, he's a firecracker. Like, he's this 69-year-old um, who chain smokes but still jogs every day, does yoga, used to be a documentary filmmaker, then ran an organic grocery store nearby, and now he operates this uh, mountain refuge, Cataractis Mountain Refuge, which is this stone shelter where, obviously, you know, hikers can, can go for a hot meal and, and a warm bed. And he grew up in these mountains. And frankly, he's with us because, well, you know, we'd be lost without him. I've been to a lot of places in Greece, but I can confidently say I've never been anywhere like this. We climb past massive white waterfalls, tumbling hundreds of feet down like a, a bridal veil. And, and the mountains are tower above us. They're, they're rocky and dark. And it's even more dramatic because it's raining today and the cloud cover is making them look really ominous. And as we climb higher and higher, the visibility deteriorates, the fog turns all soupy and thick to the point where we can't really see in, in front of the vehicle. But that doesn't stop Christos. When he's trying to make the calls, he's giving me the lay of the land. There's a magic to this place, he says, and his eyes are all lit up as we pass his childhood home. He describes how the fruit trees blossom in springtime, how he spent the summers of his boyhood napping under the shade of these mountain peaks. But there's a sadness in his voice too. That There are stories of the old flower grits mill that shut down, you know, stories of all these tight-knit villages emptying out as people move to the city. Tales of violent earthquakes that shook old stone houses to rubble. Meanwhile, he keeps making the calls. Suddenly, he puts the phone down, turns to me and says, somebody wants to talk. Over the last 14 years, Vasilis Paliokostas hasn't robbed another bank or kidnapped another tycoon. Any criminal activity has gone completely underground because he knows if the police ever catch him, he's toast. Yeah, so after Vasilis' second helicopter escape, the government had a total meltdown. The prime minister scheduled an emergency cabinet meeting where the minister of justice, completely embarrassed, went on the attack. What the escape really did was expose the prison system's weaknesses, but the Minister of Justice refused to admit that there were any structural issues. Instead, he played the blame game. He called the prison staff at Corridalos corrupt and complicit. He vowed that the heads would roll and he launched an investigation. All prison officials were required to declare their whereabouts at the time of the escape, and those who had been present had their houses raided by detectives in the middle of the night, with officers barging into their homes and searching for evidence of bribery. And they didn't find any. Still, the minister wanted heads. A handful of guards were arrested and brought to the courthouses in the middle of the night, standing trial under the cover of darkness. Eight guards would be suspended. Four would be arrested under suspicion of helping Vasilis escape. All but one of them would be acquitted. It was, in a way, the kind of behavior Vasilis had warned everyone about. Reese's bigwigs rather than own up to a systemic failure and fix that system or target someone high up on the food chain, went after the little guy. 
it was easier to throw blame than to actually fix the problem. Not only had Vasilis hoodwinked the justice system again, he had pulled off something even more improbable. He'd forced the state to turn against itself. And that made him a bigger enemy than ever before. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com iHeart and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com iHeart. Identity theft protection starts here. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. Chapter 3 bombshells. The Ministry of Citizen Protection is housed in a drab-looking building. It sits on the edge of a highway in East Athens and, frankly, looks like a tower of Lego blocks. But appearances, as they say, 
are deceiving. The building is the nerve center for the country's police. And we're told, headquarters for the team hunting down Vasilis Paliokostas. June 24, 2010. Lefteris Ikonomu is working in his office on the ministry's sixth floor. Now, Lefteris is one of those career law enforcement guys. He started as a regular police officer and worked his way up the ladder to get a cushy management job, working as head of the Hellenic police. We heard from him in a previous episode. It's a quiet Thursday evening. Lefteris is in a meeting with some high-ranking officers when he hears a loud bang. At the beginning, we thought there had been a short circuit, as if the air conditioning unit blew up. But a few minutes passed and the lights went out. Suddenly, I could smell smoke. Lefteris says he'll never forget the smell. It was reminiscent of burnt almonds. Years of police training told him what it actually was. The residue of explosives. Lefteris starts to worry. On the floor above him is the office of the Minister for Citizen Protection. The guy who runs public security in Greece. Michalis Chrysohoidis. I immediately went up to the office of the minister. It was dark. There was a commotion. We were trying to see exactly what had happened. Lefteris rushes to the minister's office to check on Chrysohoidis. The minister is okay, but the office next to his looks like a war zone. The office of Mr. Vasilakis was damaged. The wall and the plasterboard were falling apart. There had clearly been an explosion. There was complete upheaval. Everything was overturned. The space belongs to the minister's right-hand man, George Vasilakis, a lifelong public servant, a father of two. He's lying there, motionless on the floor. It was obvious that he was dead. Ekonomu bites his lip and steps out of the room. Investigators quickly pieced together what had happened. Vasilakis always opened the minister's mail. Today was no different. He received a thick envelope addressed to the minister. He opened it, and inside was another package. He placed the envelope down and began tearing it open. He didn't know it was booby-trapped with gunpowder and ammonium nitrate. At the crime scene, detectives would find the outer envelope, still intact. They took it in for forensic analysis. Part of the envelope had not been damaged, and then investigators discovered there was a fingerprint. A fingerprint of Paleocostas. Chapter 4 The Truth Lefteris Ikonomu is certain that Vasilis Paliokostas killed his colleague. He tells us the fingerprint proves it. It is undeniably strong proof of Paliokostas' involvement in this murder. Surely he touched the envelope and actively participated either in its construction or transfer. This leaves us no doubt about his involvement. 
The message he wanted to send was clear. Mr. Chrysokoidis was the leading political figure in the effort to dismantle terrorism in Greece, and Paleokostas tried to strike a blow against the minister. Vasilis, of course, had been labeled a terrorist by the Greek state long before the bombing. For decades, most domestic terrorists in Greece had funded their activities through bank robbery, and Vasilis, a gun-toting bank robber himself, was automatically put in the same category. It's a classification that he takes issue with. As he writes in his autobiography, The majority of the country's politicians, the ideal regime, is repressive, vindictive, and totalitarian. So even if there are no terrorists, some must be invented to justify repressive legislation. One of the guys behind those laws was the minister. For the longest time, he was Greece's top anti-terrorism cop. He was credited with taking down the terrorists running the notorious 17 November organization. And by this time, in 2011, Chrysohoidis was the country's number one law and order guy. He led the country's fire, public safety, and police departments. And he was the guy leading the hunt for Vasilis. To be clear, Vasilis definitely held a grudge against the man. Because in January 2010, Vasilis did something he had never done before. He wrote a letter to a Greek newspaper. In it, he rails against the police. He says they're out to kill him. But he reserves his harshest words for the minister himself. He is a devoted fan of snitching and loves rats. His hobbies include setting prices for the heads of the wanted. He calls Chrysohoidis an egomaniac, a guy who fantasizes about having his greatest arrest turned into a Hollywood movie played by George Clooney. Uh, Mr. Clooney, if you are listening to this podcast, I'm, I'm sure you are, uh, and you do want to option this into a movie, uh, please give us a call. Anyway, a few months later, when that bomb goes off, detectives look back to that letter. The letter gives them a motive, and the fingerprints are the evidence. Vasilis' reputation got a lot more um, cloudy after the police linked him to the bombing. The heroic good thief, Palocosta story, the, the mountain thief who does not harm, suddenly seemed like the opposite. A lot of that uh, a charm he had was lost. Vasilis's reputation took a bigger hit in the following months. Because after the bombing, domestic terrorism in Greece went haywire. Letter bombs began turning up all across Athens, at the embassy of Bulgaria, the embassy of Mexico, and Russia, Chile, the Netherlands, even neutral Switzerland. One letter bomb was discovered en route to the office of German Chancellor Angela Merkel. 14 letter bombs appeared sparking so much fear in Greece that, for the first time ever, the government shut down international airmail for 48 hours. Eventually, the terrorist group Conspiracy of Fire Nuclei took credit for all of these attacks. You might recall that Conspiracy of Fire Nuclei looked up to Vasilis as a hero. In their communiques, they cited him as an inspiration. Detectives saw all of this as more evidence that Vasilis was becoming too dangerous. Maybe he wasn't behind these 14 letter bomb attacks, but 
he inspired them. And that was a problem. Vasilis needed to be hunted down, and soon. For the record, Vasilis Paliokostas denies mailing a bomb to the ministry office. And if we asked him, he'd probably tell the punks running fire nuclei to get his name out of their mouths. One of the most consistent things about Vasilis is that he takes blame, or credit, for every crime he's committed. And in this case, he's adamant. The police are lying. In fact, in his writing, he tries to point out how improbable this all seems. Inside an A4-sized envelope, which I never saw, never touched, never mailed, and which exploded, destroying half a floor in the Ministry of Citizen Protection, the police managed to find a whole palm print of mine. Mind you, a lot of people are on Vasilis' side here. They think this was all a setup, uh, which in all fairness, there is plenty of evidence to support. Remember, in 2010, the Vasilis myth is at its height. He's embarrassed the police with his second insane helicopter escape. Fan pages have popped up all over Facebook. People are painting religious iconography with his likeness on it, making the outlaw look like uh, a Saint Vasilis. And popular bands like Imam Baldi, the artists who play our theme song, are composing tunes about him. Vasilis is also making international news. He isn't just famous in Greece anymore. He's getting write-ups in Jerusalem, in Dublin. His story is spreading to all corners of the globe. He has complete control over the narrative. And if you're the police, you're losing. Badly. And in what better way to regain control of the narrative than uh, trump up charges against him to, to claim that his fingerprints are on a bomb that killed an innocent father of two? I mean... It is weird that police claim to have found a bunch of Vasilis' fingerprints, right? It's completely out of character. By this point, he had been committing crimes for two decades. We know he was very self-conscious about leaving fingerprints anywhere, let alone all over a package containing a bomb. Vasilis' old mentor, Costa Samaras, says a student of his would never make such an amateur mistake. Δεν ξέρω, δεν πιστεύω ότι ήταν τόσο χαζός που θα έρθει ένα αποτύπωμα πάνω στο φάκελο. I don't believe that Vasilis was so stupid that uh, he would leave his fingerprint on the envelope if he wanted to get involved with terrorism. He would do it his own way. Remember, they never found half of the Milonas ransom. With three or four million euros, he could organize an army to overthrow the government within a week if he wanted. The point is, in the eyes of the public, Vasilis's guilt is not unanimous. During our reporting, we ran into people who've called Vasilis a murderer, others who have called him a saint. But in the absence of a smoking gun, it may just be a matter of whose story you want to believe the most. Chapter 5 Back in the Mountains We're in Kipseli, the village where Vasilis was allegedly sighted a few weeks ago, and Christos has brought us to this taverna. 
it's a humble place with kind of log cabin vibes there's there's wood paneling everywhere and all the tables have legs made from old branches on the wall there's a big painting of a bear hunt it's only 1 p.m but christos insists on ordering us chipuro which is basically kind of a greek brandy we're alone except for a guy sitting with a big plate of pasta by the bar it's the owner and he's also sipping a tall glass of liquor uh, and since it's just us, I figure it's safe to ask whether he knows anything about the sighting of Vasilis. And, well, he gets very angry very quickly. You know, don't get us involved with Palo Costas, he says. He starts measuring me up. What kind of business do we have with him? And for the next five minutes, everything that comes out of this man's mouth is just spiked with scorn. He's cursing words that I've never even heard before. And he starts mocking us. He's like, oh, I'll just give you an interview about Palo Costas. Like, we're the best of friends. He turns to Christos, our guide, and he's like shaking his fist, cursing him, telling him, you know, we shouldn't go anywhere near this story. What, what do we have to do with this story? But after a few minutes of yelling, he kind of mellows out a little bit and starts to soften. Let me make you understand something, little boy, he says. Right now, Vasilis is out because the cops don't want to find him. I know it for certain. They have thermal cameras. They can do whatever they want, but they don't find him because they don't want to. And before we can ask him why he thinks this, he continues, besides, even if someone wants to tell you something, they won't. They won't tell you anything. You might run into someone who knows him, but will they tell you anything? No. I kind of get the impression that this guy could be speaking about himself here, but it's hard to know. Is he saying people won't speak up because they're loyal to Vasilis, or is it because they're afraid of him? We get back in the car and continue onward uh, towards the hiker's shelter that Christos runs and owns. And he wants to give us a lay of the land to show us what hiding in these mountains actually takes. As we drive up, Christos keeps making calls to people who each refuse to meet with us. We make a pit stop at a local pharmacy and, you know, we ask a couple of guys if they know Palo Costas. They shake their heads as if to say, no, this conversation is not happening. The thing is, when we took this trip out to Kipseli, I half thought these rumours of Vasilis hiding in these mountains were, you know, a little overblown. Just more romantic lore. Like, why would Vasilis stay near his hometown when he has a world to hide in? But so far, everyone we've tried to talk to has been evasive. Like, really evasive. And it feels like the guy in the taverna was right, you know, that even if locals have something to say, they're not going to spill secrets to an outsider. It just feels like everyone here might know something. As we climb up to the mountain refuge, the rain turns to hail, the fog thickens and the wind roars. The road has like turned to rubble. Every couple hundred of feet, Christos jumps out the car to move giant rocks out of our way. I feel trapped, you know, on one side is the mountain face, on the other side is a cliff, and everything is shrouded in this, in this heavy fog. He wants to be outside the car, because we're probably going to fall off. Before long, we've, we've reached an altitude where the trees disappear and, and the dirt road is all rocks now. Finally, we reach a little stone hut, like a one-story building uh, surrounded by a bank of snow. And I'm struck by just how isolated it is. 
Some people, you know, think that Vasilis is holding out strong in a cave or, or camping in the woods, you know, or sheltered maybe in some remote hunting shack a little bit like this. But being here as the first snowfalls, it strikes me how hard it is to survive this place. That night, the car battery dies on us. Hello. And when we finally revive it, it starts storming hard. And now Christos is stepping out into what feels like a tornado, moving small boulders and, and tree branches that have fallen across the road. So much for not driving home in the dark. <laughs> in the storm. In the storm. In the middle of nowhere. In Palacostos. To put it lightly, the drive home gets hairy and it just hammers home the point. You know, living out here takes guts. It's not easy. And I become convinced. If Vasilis is anywhere in the region, it's not up on the mountain. It's in one of the villages down below. The question is, with who? <laughs> Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Chapter 6 Greek Values When Christina spoke to her anonymous source, 
they told her that Vasilis is never alone and that he has managed to remain free because he has a network of people who help him. These people, whoever they are, clearly provide him with shelter and transportation and, according to the source, a regular installment of money. But even then, there's the regular folk who don't help him, who know he's around and keep their lips shut tight. And that's amazing to me. What makes this community so loyal? Like, why doesn't some poor farmer turn him in and cash in that million euro reward? Is he really that good? Or are the police that incompetent? I talked to a good number of people on this trip, and they all told me a version of the same thing, that this part of the country has been forgotten, that nobody in power cares about the rural villages. People in power seem to know this too. When we talked to the former Prime Minister, George Papandreou, he admitted it. All the economic activity uh, was very much centralised here in Athens. That meant that in the countryside they did not have much... He said that government policies helped gut these areas. Things like health, things like um, education, um, social services and so on, all centrally controlled, really starved um, the countryside. So this is, this is I think, a problem which just has, has, has grown and grown uh, over the years. The strange thing about talking to people in this region is that, honestly, a lot of the people feel more proud of being from the region than the actual country. And usually Greeks love talking about being Greek. But up here, it seems a little different. In reviewing the transcripts, there's a line that the deputy minister, Lefteris Ekonomou, said that stuck with me. That Vasilis's protectors don't have Greek values. But I don't think that's the problem. I think the problem is, after decades of neglect and power struggles, nobody can agree on what those Greek values are anymore. And to the people in this region, values mean sharing the little you have, providing for one another. The same values that might have inspired our Robin Hood. And maybe that's why this idea of an entire community protecting Vasilis in solidarity, of not turning him in for the million-dollar reward, seems so foreign to many of us. Throughout this podcast, there's been one nagging detail that has kept bugging me. We keep hearing stories of Vasilis being so benevolent, that he steals cars and gives them back, that he throws money out the window as he drives away from the scene of the crime. These stories are always secondhand, always coming from somebody who knew a guy, who had a brother, who, like, we never got the story from the source. And after making seven episodes, talking to dozens and dozens of people, hopes weren't high that we'd ever find someone. That is, until George and George were on the mountain trip, and they visited a little village not far from where Vasilis was spotted, a place called Vulgarelli. So here in Vulgarelli, I'm at a grocery store, or I should say, the grocery store. One of Christos's contacts told us, you have to talk to the owner. So we step inside and we meet this guy. He's like a nice looking family man in his 50s, you know, gray in hair. And when, when he starts talking, you know, he seems quite guarded, timid. And, and by this point, we're used to it, right? I mean, I'm clearly not a local. I've got this giant microphone with me. I've got more of my mum's Britishness than my dad's Greekness in me. So I get it. But when I ask him about Vasilis Palio Costas, he perks up. 
and starts telling us how Palo Costas stole his car and then gave it back. Ναι, εκείνο το βράδυ εγώ άφησα το αυτοκίνητό μου απ' έξω από το κατάστημά μου. He said he left his car parked outside his shop one night and went to get some coffee. When he came back, the car was gone. He didn't see it anywhere. So he's looking and looking and he actually thought like, am I drunk? And after a couple of days, he learned that Palo Costas probably took it. He says Palo Costas was often around the area. He even came into the shop, to the bakery, things like that. And apparently, Palo Costas kept his car and after two years... He returned it with a little note. Kind of jokingly, I asked, well, did he ever say thank you? And he said, obviously, you know, he even changed the oil. He's a gentleman. All right. Now, I don't know about you, but like, I can't imagine having my car stolen for two years and then calling the guy who took it a gentleman. I don't care if he changed my oil or not. You know, you can tell this this was a story the owners performed a lot. Like, he really enjoys the fact that his car was stolen. And as people were walking, you know, in and out of the shop, all of them start chipping in, like, do you remember when Vasilis did this or when Vasilis did that? They, they all had something to add, including um, this one guy who starts telling this story. One day, Paolo Costas barges into a local farmer's house and he's like, I'm hungry, slaughter one of your sheep and feed it to me. And the guy's a little afraid, so he plucks a sheep from his flock, slaughters it, cooks it, and feeds it to Vasilis. And after the meal, as Vasilis is leaving his house, he passes a farmer who's selling clover. Vasilis buys the whole truckload and tells the seller, give all of this clover to the guy who showed me hospitality so that the rest of his flock can eat. The way he told the story, it, it felt like something from a storybook, like this could have been a folk tale from centuries ago. The stories feel as if they are fables written by Aesop, or straight from the ballads of Robin Hood himself. The same man has one more tale to tell us, one we have never heard before. He claimed it was the real Paleocosta's origin story. This isn't written down, but it's a story that's gone around our community. Years ago, the agricultural bank took advantage of Vasilis's sister. She took out a loan for a house in Trikala, but it was a rotten loan, and the bank system got a hold of her and started milking her, as they usually do. So the first vengeful act of the Palacostas brothers was to rob the agricultural bank of Trikala. That is where their illegal activity started. The bank was robbing their sister, so they robbed the bank back. It's such a simple story, but it had all the elements of a true folktale. Heroes, villains, a quest, a moral, and, at the end, poetic justice. But it's not true, at least according to Vasilis's own accounts. It is, however, the type of thing that makes us want to believe. The type of thing we tell ourselves over and over because it feels right for a man we want to believe is a saint. It also harkens back to the original Robin Hood story. Because Robin, like Vasilis, was leading a perfectly legal life until a bad debt forces him to become an outlaw. The folk tales we tell ourselves now and the tales told centuries ago haven't changed much. The settings have been updated, but the heart of these stories is timeless. 
because there are times when we just need a hero. Our team has spent a lot of time trying to get to the bottom of the Vasily story, to find the capital T truth, to find out if Vasilis is actually not just good at thieving, but a genuine good thief. But out here, in these villages, those questions don't seem to matter. To the people here, Vasilis has become a symbol. He stands for this idea that wrongs can be righted, hope that things can one day be just. Which isn't to say that Vasilis has lived a normal life. The big things he's done are genuinely extraordinary, and his story has plenty of real overlap with Robin Hood, which can make it hard to know what to believe. Back when George was in the mountains, he told us that he got this eerie feeling, this sense that Vasilis could be hiding just down the block. And when he mentioned it to the grocery store owner, the gentleman agreed. In fact, he said, it had happened before. Yeah, so as we're trading stories, he told us about this one time that there was 20 cops, you know, swarming the village. And, and there Vasilis was, in the middle of it all, dressed as a priest, just smiling and hiding in plain sight. I like that idea. Like, what if Vasilis was hiding in plain sight? Maybe, as we were running around town, he was chilling in a little chapel, dressed up as a hermit or a monk. It'd be a fitting move. After all, that's something Robin Hood did too. The Good Thief is a Kaleidoscope production in partnership with iHeart Podcasts. It's hosted by me, Miles Gray. Our executive producers are Mangesh Hatikudur, Costas Linos, Oz Wolishin, and Kate Osborne. From iHeart, executive producers are Katrina Norvell and Nikki Etor. Our partners at the Greek Podcast Project are executive producer Daphne Carnesis, field producers Christina Pilioni and George Miadis and sound designer Nikos Sklavenitis, who provided the English voice of Cosa Samaras. Mary Philip Sandy is our supervising producer. Shane McKeon is our producer. The show is written and researched by Lucas Riley. Fact-checking by Danya Suleiman. Sound design and mix by Pran Bandy. Special thanks to Fanny Skolias and Eleni Casimo. This episode featured the voices of Yorgos Karamijos and Rich Green. Our theme song is by Imam Baldi, with additional music by Botany. Finally, thanks to Will Pearson, Connell Byrne, Bob Pittman, and John Marinopoulos. Presents a new chapter in luxury. 
the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. When the time comes to plan your next big getaway, know we got a destination idea for you. Orlando. Just think about it. The thrills at their 15 world-class theme parks, followed by awesome outdoor adventures, amazing food festivals, and top-notch dining spots. Orlando has all that and much more than you'd expect. In Orlando, anything is possible if you can imagine it. Plan your escape today and save at visitorlando.com. That's visitorlando.com for everything you need for an amazing getaway. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.